Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. When it comes to infamous American feuds, few can compare to the battle between John and Horace Dodge and Henry Ford. From 1903 until 1915, the Rapscallion Dodge brothers helped Henry Ford get Ford Motors and the infamous Model T off the ground. When their contract ended, however, Ford decided he wanted to use his company's massive profits to enrich his workforce and provide discounted automobiles to the consumer. The resulting lawsuit, Dodge versus Ford, is still taught in corporate law classrooms everywhere and impacts how corporations are viewed today. This week, it's the true story of the Dodge brothers, a duo responsible for shaping the auto industry as we know it, and the man who hated them, Henry Ford. But why did Ford hate the Dodges so much? How did their rivalry reinforce corporate capitalism as we know it? And why is Henry Ford such a controversial and confusing figure? Today on Pass Gas, it's the Dodge Brothers vs. Henry Ford. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. It's like a tag team. It's like Triple H versus uh Ford. Ford. <laughs> Wait, Triple H is just one guy though. I know. It's confusing. <laughs> um X Pac and Triple H. Versus Ford. Versus The Rock. If The, <laughs> if the Rock were a notorious anti-Semite. <laughs> Union buster. <laughs> yeah. Instead of liking uh, to eat a huge breakfast, he uh-huh. instead hated Jewish people. Yeah. Instead of talking about how he's from Hawaii all the time, <laughs> uh, he would uh, you know, break up unions to take advantage of workers. <laughs> You guys, I I'm so I apologize ahead of time. Uh I turned on the heat for the first time yesterday and it blew out a ton of dust and my head is basically a baby bell right now. A, a baby bell cheese? Yeah, just so stuffy. Your head is covered in wax? Yeah, that's what it feels like. And you have to peel it open? Yeah, and plus my sisters drop their dogs off be like hey you can babysit too and so oh. now i have like three whimpering dogs that want to go outside multiple sisters yeah i got two sisters and and both of them are doing stuff and they said hey can you watch my dog and i said i guess and then rachel left so that's where i'm at you're living daddy daycare it's like dad's in charge now yeah one of the dogs already like peed on my on your steering wheel so I had to clean that up this morning. On whose steering wheel? Ay ay ay. Ay 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 and deal. On on his uh, uh Logitech like sim racing steering wheel. Oh yeah. How'd that get peed on? It was on the ground. I don't want it back. 
No, I cleaned it. It's good. You can have it's it. It's good. No, you can have it. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> My plan worked. <laughs> well, welcome back to Past Gas, everybody. This is your host. Uh, very stilted speech today. Uh, I'm your host, Nolan Sykes. Joined, as always, by my other hosts, we got uh, uh, Joe Weber over there. Hey, keep it juiced and keep it loose. Yeah, okay. Uh, sure. And James Pumphrey. Double down and up the bet. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a skiing reference or maybe football. Uh, th- I think it's a bad poker reference. I think double down and up the bet mean the same thing. So I'm just reiterating. Double down. Up the bet. I can't believe it's Friday already. We record these on Friday. You might listen to it on Sunday or whenever it is. But uh, I feel like the week has just gone by extremely fast. I don't know if I've accomplished anything at all or done everything. Well, the thing is, our shoot week, we, we usually shoot in batches. Our shoot week is bleeding into every other week now. Uh-huh. So it's literally just a shoot month every month. I shoot almost every day. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, why don't you do this? Think of what we have to go through to provide content for you guys. <laughs> Whoa, what's yeah. wrong, Joe? <laughs> think of our needs. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little frazzled. <laughs> I think it might be time for you to stop reading the comments. There comes a, there comes a point in every host's uh, career where you just you stop reading the comments, you turn your DMs to private, and you just focus on the road ahead. Uh, so I think, you know, we can offline it, but it might it might be time that you sort of start protecting yourself from the community Look, a little bit. I'm not Deadpool's friend from the bar, okay? <laughs> I'm not uh oh, people compared me to uh Scotty Kilmer. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's time, man. I think it's time. I but read I the comments a- every day. I read all the comments. Yeah, you're I've been nuts. doing that for four years and I'm insane. Oh, what is that? <laughs> There's a sick freaking GM outside my house right now. Like a general manager? I think it's, yeah, dude. It's it's, uh, Mike Ditka's outside. He's a general manager of sorts. Right? No. Sure. No, it's a sick Chevelle, I think. That's cool. Nice. Uh, How about we get into it? Yeah? Yeah. You'd think each of the Dodge brothers would get their own little section of the podcast. But considering John and Horace were inseparable for the entirety of their lives it would get a little too redundant. And by inseparable, we mean they wouldn't read any mail unless it was addressed to both of them. Yes, it was that level of codependency. That is insane. Weren't they connected at the head? No. Weren't they on TLC? No. (laughs) No. Mm. It's not a uh, stuck on you kind of situation. Yeah, I I thought stuck on you was kind of loosely based on them. My mistake. I thought they were connected at their heads. John was born in Niles, Michigan on October 25th, 1864, and Horace popped out a few years later on May 17th, 1868. Their father ran a machine shop and foundry, uh, which is, if you don't know what a foundry is, a factory for casting metal. You got the stuff, metal. You got (laughs) star power. (laughs) You're in. You're cast. Uh... (laughs) In 1886, when John was 22, the whole family moved to Detroit, and John and Horace both took jobs at a boilermaker plant. In 1892, John married a Canadian woman named Ivy Hawkins, and they had three children. 
Then in 1894, both brothers moved to Windsor, Ontario, Canada, to work as machinists at the Dominion Typograph Company. While in Canada, Horace married a Scottish immigrant named Anna Thompson, and the pair had a son and daughter. I love you. (laughs) I love you because your name is Horace, and it sounds like haggis. Uh, when you come back from the boilermaker plant, bring me a, some haggis. Bring me a beer with a shot dropped in it. <laughs> boilermakers that you make at the plant. And also a pickleback. <laughs> Ooh. John was known as a sales-minded managerial type, whereas Horace loved to tinker. Thus, after Horace invented and patented a dirt-proof ball bearing, his business-minded brother arranged a deal for the two to join with investors to begin manufacturing bicycles. By 1900, the Dodge brothers sold their part in the bicycle business for $3,700 and used the proceeds to set up their own machine shop in Detroit. They started out creating parts for stoves, But they quickly shifted their interest due to the growth of a new industry, automobiles. In 1902, the Dodge brothers won a contract to build transmissions for the Olds Motor Vehicle Company and quickly built a reputation for quality and service with a smile, I assume. Although successful with Olds, they turned down a second contract so they could retool their Detroit plant to build engines for Henry Ford. Now, we've talked about Henry Ford on this podcast before. How could we avoid him? But it's still worthwhile to get a refresher on the icon. Henry Ford was born on July 30th, 1863 in Spring Wells Township, Michigan, to an Irish farmer and his Belgian wife. When Henry was 15, one of his favorite pastimes was dismantling and reassembling the pocket watches of his friends and neighbors. They didn't know that he was doing it. <laughs> Some, sometimes he w- they would still be in their pockets. <laughs> After his mother died, Henry's father began to pressure him to take over the family farm, but he refused. He wanted him to be an engineer, Dad. Thus, in 1879, Ford left home to begin work as an apprentice machinist in Detroit. However, he later returned home to work on the family farm, but focused on operating the Westinghouse portable steam engine, which led to a serviceman position with Westinghouse. In 1891, Ford became an engineer with the Edison Illuminating Company in Detroit and was promoted to chief engineer just two years later. He then began focusing on his experiments with gasoline engines, which culminated in the completion of a self-propelled vehicle in 1896. That same year, Ford met Thomas Edison, who encouraged the young engineer to continue experimenting with automobiles. It would be years later until they 69 Yeah, they would later come to 69 all the time. Uh, in 1898, Henry designed and built his second vehicle, and in 1899 founded his first company, the Detroit Automobile Company. Unfortunately, due to low quality and high price point, that company dissolved in January of 1901. That same year, Detroit lumber baron William H. Murphy, not to be confused with William H. Macy, that same year, Detroit lumber baron William H. Macy and the and other stockholders from the now defunct Detroit Automobile Company formed the Henry Ford Company on November 30th, 1901. 
Ford served as chief engineer but left the company and Sultan Murphy brought Henry M. Leland as a consultant. Now, after Ford left, Leland renamed the company the Cadillac Automobile Ooh. Company. In 1902, Ford received backing from Alexander Y. Malcolmson, an old acquaintance and Detroit area coal dealer. Their partnership allowed Ford to get to work designing an inexpensive automobile. The duo leased a factory and machine shop with, you guessed it, John and Horace Dodge. Do you think in French, Cadillac is pronounced like Cadillac? Cadillac. Cadillac. Yeah, we we really love putting that emphasis on the lac, you know, like Cadillac. That's a freaking Cadillac, baby. That's a Cadillac DeVille. Don't (laughs) scratch it. And then he throws the keys at you. Before we get to the meat of this story, let's talk about the personalities at play a little bit more. Nearly every article about the Dodge Brothers points out how massively disliked they were amongst the Detroit elite. The brothers were known to go out drinking together in identically tailored suits and were generally pretty horrible drunks. It's weird because one of them was way smaller, but it was tailored the same way. So (laughs) he looked like David Byrne. John, the older brother, was known for being crude and short-tempered, but his wealth made him an influential community member, much to the chagrin of polite society. He also had a messy personal life. In 1901, his first wife, Ivy, died of tuberculosis. Ooh, that's messy. The following year, John married his housekeeper, Isabel, in a secret ceremony. Uh, That is, that's messy. In 1905, he secretly separated from Isabel and finalized his divorce in 1907. I mean, do I even need to say it? That's, (laughs) That's messy. Oh, yeah. Shortly after this divorce, Joe, John married his secretary, Matilda, and they had three children, bringing his total offspring count up to six. What is this, the frickin' Argentinian soccer team? Because that's messy. Uh... All right, I'll stop doing that. (laughs) However, it wasn't until after his death in 1920 that anyone even knew he had a second wife to begin with. Or a third one. To his credit, Horace was better liked than John. Perhaps due to his wife Anna's kind demeanor and love of music, they became major benefactors in the Detroit Symphony Orchestra and played a key role in the construction of the orchestra hall. However, Horace also once beat a man unconscious after the man made fun of him for being unable to crank his Ford. (laughs) (laughs) That's tight, though. (laughs) The man can't, can't take a little ribbing and, and beats a man unconscious. I just can't get leverage on it. Dude, it was a different time. It was 1907. Everyone beat each other unconscious back then. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> the guy woke up and he was like, ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. When a country club wouldn't admit him, Horace built an enormous mansion on the adjacent property with a 12-car garage facing the country club in order to make as much noise as possible. Pretty normal rich guy stuff. I love that. Well, there's a rumor that the Dodge Brothers were Jewish. They're for, like the Dodge Brothers motor vehicle's emblem has the Star David on it. It does. You're right. Do you think that's why they weren't let into the country club? Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Oh. Mother. 
All right. Anyway, so the Ford company required their workers to be, quote, thrifty and continent with a strong marriage and healthy children. Uh, He also wanted his Ford employees to be model Americans. So he created the Ford Social Department. The Social Department consisted of 50 investigators and eventually grew to 200 that would look into every aspect of their employees' lives, effectively being a secret police for his employees. What a gem. What a cool guy. (laughs) (laughs) at first glance you know if you were dumb it would seem like henry's standards for his workers were pretty helpful (laughs) however it got weird really fast social department investigators could show up at someone's house unannounced just to make sure it was tidy much like a foster dog uh agency making a home visit (laughs) They would ask about spending habits, alcohol consumption, gambling, marital status, and even check on the children in school. Women weren't eligible for the raise unless they were single with children, and men weren't eligible unless their wife stayed at home. And of course, every employee had to speak English. Though they claimed that there was a safety component to the English requirement, Ford was also a notorious racist and anti-Semite with a strong anti-internationalist tilt. In fact, Some sources indicate that his hatred for the Dodge brothers stemmed from the misguided belief that the pair were Jewish. Well, there's the Star David on the emblem, but the triangle is also Greek for D. So it'd be like two Ds, both like the Dodge brothers Uh, like intertwined. Okay, they were not Jewish. And the triangle motif actually continued, I mean, it continued through Dodge's history like Dodges in the 60s, their logo was like a, a triangle. And now they're bringing that triangle logo back for the uh, the Dodge EV muscle car that's coming out soon. Yeah, what's it called again, that little emblem? The E-muscle. No, the Delta. Well, yeah, uh, that was the Flukerang that you're thinking of, uh, Joe. Thinking of the Flukerang. That's not the Flukerang. The Flukerang is a different kind of arrow sort of design. It's easy to get that confused. Um Anyway, back to Henry Ford and his uh, racism. (laughs) Henry Ford was also an avowed conspiracy theorist and loved to speak on the dangers that internationalism posed to traditional American values, despite being the son of immigrants himself. Hitler looked up to Henry Ford, or they were friends. They were buddies. Uh, So, cool. So, in the early 1920s, Ford sponsored a weekly anti-Semitic paper and later... He funded square dancing in American schools because he believed jazz was created by Jewish people and was a threat, of course. However, Ford was also one of the only major corporations that would hire black employees, women, or handicapped men. And perhaps the most shocking tidbit on Ford is his inclusion in Mein Kampf, where he is the only American mentioned favorably. Hitler later said that Ford was, quote, his inspiration and even kept a life-size portrait of Ford next to his desk. A life-size portrait? Jeez. Uh, apparently in the Ford archives, there's like a, one safe that has film of Henry Ford and uh, Hitler Ooh. hanging out. We should. Can we license it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, at least the square dancing. At least he had some, you know. That was that we had to do that in school <laughs> what a waste of time you had to do square dancing in school yeah what yeah at your sock hops or what no like this was something we did in 
I, we had to do this multiple times, like in, in elementary, like in PE. In PE, ele- well, not even in elementary school. It was like it was like you know, like uh, a month, right? Where it's like, all right, every Tuesday and Thursday, we're gonna go to the cafeteria and learn how to square dance. And then we did have to do that in PE in junior high as well. Jeez. The square dancing lobbyists in Atascadero are hardcore. Strong. Well, dude, I okay, so I was like, all right, square dancing, whatever. It wasn't until later on, like <laughs> three years ago, when I learned about the whole Henry Ford square dancing jazz conspiracy thing, that I was like, that is some racist holdover Yeah. Why are we doing this? Because rock and roll was made by the devil. They made us do jazz hands for like hours at a time. At- what? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Well, look, I should have paid more attention to square dancing, actually, because there was a time in my life, uh, community college, when I would go to this uh, country, not country club, like a club, the graduate had country night on Thursdays. Like a honky tonk? It was like a honk. It was like essentially honky tonk night, uh, and square dancing or line dancing. I'm sorry, square dancing is different than line dancing, but I feel like the principles are probably the same. Uh-huh. I did not know how to line dance, James. I don't know if you know how. If you know any steps, any dances? No, I don't even know the hoot scoot and boogie. I know you got to get down, turn around, go to town, <laughs> hoot scoot and boogie. Did they let you in even if you didn't have hammer loops on your pants? Oh, yeah. I was definitely, like, not dressed at country at all. You kind of have a Chris Penn uh, footloose vibe. (laughs) Chris Penn? (laughs) Wait, are you talking about Chris Penn Glover? No, Sean Penn's brother. Stop pointing that gun at my dad! Remember in Reservoir Dogs? (laughs) You're talking Chris Penn Glover? No, I'm talking Chris Penn, Sean Penn's brother. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an MF Doom line. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chris Penn died, right? No. Damn, I was going to say, we need a, a Kevin Farley, Chris Penn, uh, James Belushi. Um, is that James Belushi uh, buddy film? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's Jim Belushi. Oh, no, John Belushi. I'm I was like, of. holy I got Jim mixed up with John, and I was like, were the brothers named Jim and James? Anyway, this is not pertinent. Anyway, it wasn't just their perceived religion that made Ford hate the Dodge brothers. He held resentment for the brothers for another reason. Superstitions about their red hair. Oh, my God. (laughs) He also didn't like their hard-drinking lifestyle, and he had frustration over their considerable contributions to the Ford Motor Company. Considering the Ford Motor Company's social department, it didn't look good to have the messy, messy Dodge brothers as minority shareholders in the company. In the early 1900s, Henry Ford's reputation was at its lowest, thanks to several bankruptcies. The Dodges were considered his last chance to find a decent supplier for his Ford Motor Company, and the brothers understood the risk and reward of his circumstances. They shrewdly set up a cushy deal that would own 10% of Ford, all rights to Ford in the event of another bankruptcy, and were owed 10000 up front with five days to pay their invoice. In exchange, Dodge would borrow $75,000 for new tooling and other expenses, and would build Henry Ford a car. 
Ford on the ropes accepted the offer, though he wasn't thrilled about being dependent on a single supplier, especially the Dodge Brothers. The Dodge Brothers were like, you should try being dependent. It's great. <laughs> yeah, be dependent. <laughs> Ford's like, oh, they're creepy, creepy red hair. <laughs> From 1903 to 1915, Dodge gave up all other business to concentrate on producing Model Ts and even redesigned some of their car's parts, including the drivetrain. In their first year alone, Dodge turned out 650 cars for Ford to assemble. John was rewarded with a vice president position, but was still unhappy with his place in the shadows. He wanted Dodge to become a household name, but first, let's talk about the Model T. The Ford Model T changed absolutely everything for the company and for cars in general. Instead of pricing the car at $2,000 or a little over $60,000 in today's money, the 1909 Model T sold for $850. However, the car still didn't sell that well, mainly because early cars were still being assembled by hand and people didn't trust cars because they didn't have faces like their horse. <laughs> they didn't poop. In the, and how can you trust something that doesn't poop? Yeah, how can you, I don't even know if my car likes me. My horse likes me. By 1910, Ford introduced assembly line production techniques that helped the factory churn out one car every three minutes. That efficiency was later reflected in the price of the car. By 1915, the new Model T was $440, roughly $12,000 in today's money. And by the end of its run, consumers purchased more than 15 million Model Ts. Wow. In 1913, Ford began to build the world's first moving assembly line, and the Dodge brothers gave a year's notice on their contract. By the end of 1914, Dodge's 5,000 employees had built a quarter million transmissions, rear ends, crankshafts, and front axles for Ford, and the Model T was everywhere. However, the following year would bring about a lawsuit that's still talked about in corporate law classrooms everywhere. Now we're getting into law stuff, my, my favorite stuff. <laughs> yeah, Joe's a real law stan. <laughs> By 1915, relations had fully soured between the Dodge Brothers and Henry Ford. FOMOCO, or Ford Motor Company, was sitting on a surplus of $60 million thanks to the success of the Model T. Ford wanted to restrict dividend payments to shareholders, who he saw as parasites, and instead use the cash to build more affordable cars and uh, maybe increase wages if that was to, you know, conveniently increase wages down the line. Although I wouldn't say that was part of his plan. Though this seems like a generous move by one of those famed good rich guys we always hear about, it's more likely that Ford knew that if he stopped paying these dividends, that he could potentially drive the Dodge Brothers' new business into the ground. Oh, that's such a fun thing for him to do to some guys that really helped him out. <laughs> they had red hair, Joe. Yeah, it's true. Okay, yeah. Okay, now I get it. They looked like the bad guy from The Incredibles. <laughs> Syndrome. Dude, Miss Incredible's got that dumpy on her. <laughs> I knew that was going to get brought up. <laughs> anyway, so the Dodge brothers brought a lawsuit against Ford the day after Ford's son Edsel's wedding, a wedding that the Dodge brothers attended. Whoa. It's a nice little gift for you. But they weren't invited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They showed up like the wedding crashers. The lawsuit claimed Ford was using his control over the company to restrict payouts, even though the profitable company could afford to pay large dividends to its shareholders. The case eventually made its way up to the Michigan State Supreme Court, which agreed that Ford should be required to pay its shareholders, and in doing so, 
ruled that a, quote, business corporation is organized and carried on primarily for the profit of their stockholders. The decision is often cited for the legal theory of shareholder supremacy that more or less defines the American corporate landscape today. After the court ruling, Ford announced that he was going to sell his company to his son and started a rumor that he was starting a new car business, which drove down the share value for the Ford Motor Company. This was enough to scare the Dodges into selling their shares back to the family for a whopping $25 million. And with that capital, as well as their factory's extra capacity, the Dodges were ready to start their own independent car company. Get her done. I guess you could say the Dodges were challengers nice. to Ford. Wow. Dang. Using profits from their Ford stock, the Dodge brothers struck out on their own and produced their first vehicle, the Dodge Model 30, as a direct competitor to the Ford Model T. The car immediately set itself apart with its all-steel construction 12-volt electrical system uh, for chargers, sliding gear, transmission, and a whopping, mind-bending 35-horsepower. And the brothers received 22,000 applications for new Dodge dealers before they even finished production, thanks to their reputation for the work that they did with Ford. In 1915, Dodge produced a Roadster, and the following year introduced winter cars with hard tops and windows (laughs) and a center door sedan. They also built motor trucks, ambulances, and even marine vehicles for the U.S. military during the arms buildup for World War I. The company also invented the word dependability which was soon added to the dictionary. What? Wow. Wait, what, really? They should, like, use that in commercials. That We need to invent words. I think I've invented a couple. Hearse purrs. <laughs> in 1920, at the tail end of the Spanish flu pandemic, Horace fell ill with pneumonia after catching it at the New York Auto Show. Ever the dutiful brother, John sat by his bedside and unfortunately caught the flu from his brother. John died only 10 days later on January 14th at the age of 55. Horace fought the disease in his grief for the rest of the year, but eventually succumbed on December 1920 due to complications from pneumonia and cirrhosis of the liver. He was 52. Damn. Both brothers were interred in an Egyptian-style family mausoleum in Detroit's Woodlawn Cemetery with their bodies guarded naturally by two ornate sphinx statues. Super sick. At the time of their deaths, Dodge was the second best-selling automobile in the country. Five years later, their widows sold the business to Dylan Reed, investment bankers, for $146 million, equal to $1.7 billion today. And the bankers later sold it to Chrysler in 1928. Horace was inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame in 1981, and John followed several years later in 1997. That's kind of a weird rub. I wonder why it was such a... Like, so many years in between. Yeah, why not at the same time? Yeah, that's what they would have wanted. It's because the red hair. Yeah, dude. Wow, dude. $1.7 billion freaking get the bag, dude. That's not a lot for a car company, though. <laughs> what? Yeah, I that's mean, not... true. But also, that's a, almost $2 billion, you know? They're probably still living off that money. Oh, for sure. Do you think we could get Saturn for, like, 100000 no. No. A uh, hundred million? Maybe. Yeah, be closer to that, I think. I bet I bet Saturn comes back. As like an electric? 
Yeah. That'd be cool. Anyway, by 1918, half of all the cars in the United States were Model Ts. That same year, Ford decided to turn his presidency over to his son Edsel, though he retained final decision authority and sometimes reversed his son's plans. Henry also ran for a seat in the Michigan Senate, but lost by 7,000 votes. Not a huge margin. That's pretty small. In 1922, Ford purchased Lincoln Motor Company, a luxury car maker, as Edsel attempted to expand Ford into the upscale market. However, by the mid-1920s, General Motors rapidly rose as the leading American auto manufacturer, most likely due to offering a car for, quote, every purse and purpose, a direct challenge to Henry Ford's interest in anything outside the low-end market. In fact, for all his interest in making cars affordable, Ford refused to adopt the increasingly popular idea of payment plans for cars, as well as many technological and safety advancements, perhaps due to its costliness. It wasn't until Model T sales started seriously lagging in 1926 that Ford developed a new model. Henry focused his interest on the design of the engine, chassis, and other mechanical necessities while leaving the body design to his son, who was still president of the company, kind of. Though Henry was oftentimes in the way of the real mechanical engineers working on his team, the Model A, introduced in 1927, achieved a total output of more than 4 million units. Love that Model A. Ford remained a top automobile company through the 1930s, which is kind of shocking considering that Henry didn't believe in accountants. And as a result, he had no way of knowing how much money was being taken in and spent each month. And the company's bills and invoices were often guessed by weighing them on a scale. What? Just a big stack. of Yeah, so you just like put all the invoices on a scale. And if you knew the average of what was on there, yeah, you could deduct or deduce how much money you owed. Not the best uh, method, I would say, but there you go. In the 1940s, it shouldn't surprise anyone to learn that Henry was against U.S. involvement in World War II. He was a staunch isolationist. But he also claimed that war was, quote... Dude, the parallels between Ford and Trump are insane. Yeah. Like, bunch of bunch of bankruptcies, hands the company off to his son, quote-unquote. Isolationist. Great hair. <laughs> Ford claimed, quote, war was the product of greedy financiers. I agree with that. And maybe you can take a guess of... Well, you can also guess what he mean by yeah. that considering he was a huge conspiracy theorist yeah. and did not like Jewish people. When Edsel Ford died of cancer in 1943, Henry decided he could take over the company, <laughs> despite having suffered a number of strokes and heart attacks in the late 1930s that left him increasingly debilitated and mentally confused even more so than before. Henry's incompetence at this point led to a loss of roughly $10 million a month, or about $150 million today. And multiple conversations were had in Washington, D.C. of how the company could be saved from itself. Nothing was done until 1945, when Henry's wife, Clara, along with Edsel's, along with Edsel's widow, Eleanor, demanded he cede control to his grandson, Henry Ford II, a.k.a. Hank the Deuce. Hank the Deuce. Henry refused, of course, but when they threatened to sell off their stock worth 75% of total shares, he was forced to agree. 
Henry died two years later from a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 83, and he was buried in Detroit. I want to see that movie, like the final days. Like after- oh, it'd be so good. Yeah, Edsel's just died, and Henry Ford, and like everyone's going to D.C. to try and get Ford back. That would make and, a really good play. Yeah, the family's like conspiring. Daniel Day-Lewis plays Henry Ford. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis methods. He ages himself like 30 years. Yeah. Method. He does a lot of 69ing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he starts publishing a weekly anti-Semitic newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Daniel Day-Lewis? Damn, dude. Come on. Um. Yeah, I think that'd be a great movie, dude. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. As we said before, Dodge versus Ford is still cited today in law classrooms and textbooks across America as it affirmed the business judgment rule and the principle of shareholder primacy. Primacy? Who knows? And although Ford lost, he was finally able to rid himself of the drunk and disorderly Dodge brothers, oddly just before he did away with his weird social department spies. Ford has a complicated and inconsistent legacy. He was one of the only industrialists to hire women, black men, or the handicapped, yet was anti-Semitic enough to garner Hitler's admiration. It's kind of us to assume that his interest in the labor movement actually stemmed from decency or respect for the common person, as it's far more likely that he recognized the value in screwing over his rivals, the Dodge brothers. As far as the Dodge brothers go, what else is there to say? They loved to drink, fight, and have secret marriages, but most of all, they loved money. (laughs) And there's something to be said for a pair of capitalists who at the very (laughs) least seemed pretty consistent in their lifestyles. The Dodge brothers helped Ford build his legacy and then jump-started their own. And they probably weren't sober even once. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) wow i mean just everyone's a scoundrel if you're rich you're a (laughs) yeah you don't get to be rich by not being a there's no two ways about it if you have that much money you're kind of a piece of we gotta end on a good note we get let's uh let's um let's talk about our favorite dodges all right i'll start Yep, 1970 Charger, my favorite. What the hell is that? <laughs> what the f***? <laughs> you got a weasel in your house. What is up with our dogs today, man? There might be an earthquake coming if all the dogs are being weird. All right, well, thank you so much for listening to Past Gas. Interesting story, as always, this week. I actually really enjoyed this one. I hope you did, too. Me, too. Uh, hit my boys up on all social media at James Pumphrey and at Joe G Weber. You can follow me at Nolan J Sykes if you'd like. Um, hey, tell a friend about the show. They might like it. This one was a fun one. Yeah, and follow us on Spotify or wherever else you listen to stuff. Leave us a review. Uh, I hope the editors have left uh, Joe's barking dog in the back for all this. Anyway. Be kind. I love you. Keep it juiced. (laughs) See you next time.